1: Podcast is a proud member of the Fan FanHub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. This is Big West, and you're listening to the 1865 Forest Ramble. You Reds.
2: Welcome to the 1865 Forest Ramble podcast. My name is Rich Ferraro, and I've got two very special guests here. So, without any further ado, guest number one, what is your name, and what do you do?
0: Uh, my name's Alex Noble. I was just wondering what actually I do. To do uh, I'm a I'm a radio presenter at BBC Radio Nottingham. I also work on the uh, the sports team. I present at terrace on Friday night, um, and I do other various bits and bobs within the BBC. But my main uh, my main work is with the sports team at Nottingham. Fabulous. And uh, guest number
2: two, what's your name and what do you
1: do? I'm Aaron Verma. I am also a radio presenter at BBC Radio Nottingham. The sport thing has been relatively new and something that's come in during the pandemic. And I now share the terrace with Alex. Alex does it Fridays. Thanks for taking it off me and I do it (laughs) Mondays. Well,
2: thank you both for joining us. And, And the reason that I wanted to have a chat with you guys is because... Basically, your forest supporters who are having a chance to talk about the team that you love on your local radio station, which is the main source of news and and, and, and opinion for many, many forest supporters. Um, in the old days, it was the problem that if you were if you're out of range, you couldn't listen. So I remember many a time at university just bemoaning the fact that it was before, before we had, you know, internet commentary and everything, unless you were Nigel Doughty, um, Alex, when you started working at Radio Nottingham, was it part of your plan that you'd be doing shows like The Terrace and occasionally presenting
0: Match Day? No, <laughs> to answer it pretty simply, um, so I, I joined the BBC five years ago. Um, I actually worked within Introducing, which is the new music uh, outlet of the, uh, of the BBC, um, with Dean Jackson, who, who's presented that show for 30 years now. Um, so I, I was in the building once a month um, making a, a, a hefty amount of tea um, and learning the ropes of how to produce radio programs and I did that in various places across the UK but because the uh, the beat with Dean was on a Saturday evening I always crossed over with the sport programming before so I got to know Chippers and and Colin and all of the guys that worked on the sports team because we were changing over in the studios so uh, I would always put my head in um, because obviously showing a big interest in local football anyway so um what, at the end of one of the seasons, an email went out from, uh, from Robin, who said, does anybody know anyone who might be interested in, in working behind the scenes on the sport team? Uh, and I thought, well, it, it all ties in quite nicely that I already know a lot of the people that work on it, that, um, that I, it's something that I'm, I'm passionate and involved in. So I, I started working behind the scenes. Um, in the back room, we've got people who do all the social media output on, the, on a match day, which is what you'd see at, at BBC R&S and everywhere else. Um, so I did a lot of that. I also did a lot of the production of the programme, so turning around highlights and everything that you hear as part of the clips uh, in half time and, and, and post match and operating the Facebook live and all of that sort of stuff. So that's how I learned my craft within the sport uh, team. And then I was sent out to do some reporting. At, I think it was Baseford in the FA Trophy. And that was my first experience of reporting from a ground. Um, and you, you find within the BBC that you don't usually do one set thing. You, you kind of become a bit of a jack of all trades when it comes to working in the sport department. So you'll be thrown onto the social media side of things. Then you'll do some reporting. Then I'll stand in for David, or um, or have that kind of longer period at, um, um, when the football restarted, where I was doing it for a few weeks before he took over, which was interesting, which I'm sure we'll touch on later. Very much um, so. so. It was never my intention um, to work in, in in the sport department, but. Um, you know, having appreciated uh, and respected people like Colin Frey and Shippers from afar before I've joined the BBC, it was kind of a bit of a surreal moment when all of a sudden I was I was working with them.
2: Well, yeah, and and of course one of the things that's also interesting there is that, and we'll we'll come back to a little bit later, is that yeah, you you do wear quite a lot of hats, don't you, uh, when you're working at the BBC? It's something that I've heard um, from from a few other people as well, and. Uh, we will come across uh, talk talk a bit about music as well, um, just a little bit a little bit later on now, Aaron, you had a slightly unusual route into broadcasting because um well tell tell us the story about how you got a job presenting on radio nottingham
1: <laughs> so um, yeah, not the orthodox way, but what what is the orthodox way that 's what you learn when you join the bbc there's no, there 's no given route into getting into that. So there was an open audition competition that I entered. It was called BBC New Voices. They were doing it all around the country after the success of what they did the previous year, which was piloted actually in Nottingham. So um, look, I turned up on a whim. I've just always wanted to be a radio presenter. I never thought I was going to win. I was sat in a pub the night before. I just turned up. And um, look, it is a simple thing. I somehow won. I, I just kept going through the stages and it just kept happening. And all of a sudden I was in there. And um, so I, I got into BBC Radio and And I'll tell you this, actually, I remember the first week of being there, Alex was actually looking after the evening show because Samaya had left and Alex was looking after things going, right, OK, wait, wait. he was doing it until I could function a radio studio. And it was that Friday night, that Friday night, um, I was like, I'm going to stay and just be in the studio with Alex and just see how he does it. The main reason I wanted to do that was because the terrace was on beforehand and it was six to <laughs> or seven and Rob Earnshaw was in and Julian Bennett. And I was, yeah, the first two weeks of working at BBC Nottingham, we had Boris Johnson in one Friday. The other Friday, I saw Rob Earnshaw and Julian Bennett. And I was like, can I ask for a photo? I was just a fan in BBC. I was just like, I want to ask for a photo. But I felt so weird about doing it. But I was like, no, forget this. Got my picture of Robert Earnshaw. And that's when... Look, I looked at the sports team the way every Forest fan does. I was like, "That's Colin Frey." He was like this <laughs> myth just walking around. I was like, "That's actually Colin Frey." Um, and then from there, yeah, things just spiral very fast. Alex is right. You get opportunities come up that you never think would ever come up, and yeah, and you just say yes to stuff, and you just see what will happen, and it's just fun.
2: Mm. And. just for the listeners benefit and if you're a regular listener you can decide whether this was right or not the year before when Sameo won the competition I'd actually entered and I'd got four yeses from the judges and then they turned me down so you know was that a right decision from the BBC people (laughs) I don't know you can make your own decision um but Aaron you have in that initial show which was the evening show you never shied away from the fact that you have been basically a not only a forest fan but a forest fanboy as well and yeah. um, and then of course something really strange happened just over a year ago all of a sudden lockdown hit the bbc changed all of their scheduling on on local radio so it meant fewer shows but longer shows it meant that uh, the football coverage well stopped for a while because there was no football and then when project restart came along you two both suddenly found yourselves doing a lot more presenting. Now, Alex, like you said, you found yourself being pretty much the, the main sports anchor all of a sudden because Chippers had gone, David wasn't doing it, you were doing it. How was that?
0: Well, it was it was very strange. I mean, um, I, with all the talk with Chippers leaving, which he, he left back in February, um, and I remember there were lots of the tweets, and I always say this to Robin, I keep in touch with him quite often out in Australia. Out in Australia um, and... <laughs> everyone who was saying oh Chippers, just leave it to the end of the season leave it to the end of the season well he left and it pretty much was the end of the season (laughs) you know when when the pandemic hit Um, and David was working on the TV side of things and he was he wasn't due to start till October so all of a sudden I found myself presenting the programs obviously I couldn't be at the grounds with all of the restrictions it could only be Colin and uh, one of the summarizers at that point so it was a very very quick education in how to um, present football programs um, in a very weird way because I'm not watching the games live which I, I think adds to the experience so much if you're able to be there and so I think that football games are very different when you're in person watching them so when you see them on a screen I mean you only have to ask Colin that when we've had to commentate on the live streams recently with the, the BBC restrictions that have been in place. Um, I loved it I mean it was it was one of those that I think that one of the few after a few Few games and it looked it looked like a formality that Forest were going to get in the playoffs. And I thought this is really exciting. There's a chance here. I know the fans can't be there, and we, I think we felt more vital than ever that we were providing that service when the fans couldn't be there. And it felt sometimes when you're presenting on the radio, it feels you can feel the audience in there with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we got to um, we got to Stoke, uh, and uh, I've never had um, I've never had an experience like that on on the radio where. Know yes, as a the fan side of me was sitting there and watching Swansea score score that goal, watching the, the goals go in and, and the swing, and then sitting there being absolutely gutted, um, but then being told like realizing I'm on the radio in 10 minutes and I've got to somehow put all of this into words and context and get the right answers and and ask, and ask the right questions. I think as well because we went live on fa- on, on Facebook and, and it felt the atmosphere was just it, it you know it felt like. Um, it felt like someone had died. It felt like a, almost like a funeral. aspect. And, and I don't think that the mood was anger amongst the fan base. I think it was just I think it was sadness and, and shock. And I think that it, it really tests you as a broadcaster to try and um, gauge the mood of, of how the fan base are feeling when you're not in a stadium with them. And it's only people who are watching on a stream. And I remember that morning we put out a tweet on BBC RNS and asked people to respond with how they're feeling using just a gif. And I think, doesn't it just say how Forest it is that given the position that the club were in at the beginning of that day and what, what had to happen, even if Forrest lost that game, what had to happen at, um, at Reading Swansea? Um, the fact that we were all still nervous about it really sums up Forrest over the last, the last few years. But I, in a weird way, because of what happened to Forrest at the end of that season, I learned a lot about broadcasting um, and, and the right questions to ask and all of those kind of things, as well as all the technical challenges we had too.
2: Yeah, and, and Alex, just, just briefly, was that experience on that night, I mean, obviously it was an emotional night for everyone and and this, the Sabri Lamushi interview was really something else after the match, you know, to hear a guy who had really become an adopted son of Nottingham and had that great connection with the fans and then it all crumbled and you could, you could just hear that in his voice. Um, yeah. Alex, what was it like for you? Was that made more easy or more difficult for you by virtue of being a Nottingham lad Talking about your own team,
0: I think that because I had to focus after that game, and I ha- and I had to be, I had to keep it together on the radio because normally you would be on the group chats, you'd be saying whatever, and, and because I was, I was on the radio, and I had something to focus, and I was speaking to Steve Hodge about what, what had happened, um, and there were, there were, I think we had over two thousand comments on Facebook that night from 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 Forest fans about asking, we, we, the mood was, where do we we go from here? So I, I think it made it easier the fact that I had that I had to be professional and stay you know in, in the radio and and I think it would be easy to get a little bit carried away when something like that happens and don't get me wrong I was I was absolutely gutted uh, I remember leaving the studio um, going home I just turned my phone off because. you know, BBC Derby tweeted BBC Nottingham saying "Are you okay, hun?" and stuff like that. And that, and that just like sent that stuff like that just sent me over the edge. And um, I think I think everyone was rightly a little bit emotional. But I think the really the sad thing is is that a lot of us could see it coming. Yeah. Like you know what happened on that night against Stoke. Um, and I remember a, a lot of my friends from outside of the Forest Circle. I remember that day saying, "What what, what are Forest fans worried about?" Like you look at the table and you think, "Well." It's a it's an absolute formality, but if you supported Forest for a few years, you know that nothing nothing is a formality with this football club. So, I think it just added to the 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 craziness of. I mean, I know it wasn't a playoff game, but you know it, it, it harked back to those days of Yeovil and, and and you know and Blackpool and and especially Yeovil when it seems like it was impossible to to not go to Wembley from that position, and Forrest found a way for it not to happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, we we did. <laughs> In the lockdown period, we did actually do a few special podcasts, and one of them was talking about Forest Experience in the playoffs, because we assumed we were going to get there, and then it just yeah. evaporated, didn't it? Um, Aaron, I mean, Alex has mentioned the Oval there, and I think from the things that I've heard you talk about on the radio, I think that's a good it's a good touch point for all of us, isn't it, That those of us who can remember it? Uh, you know, you... Ended up doing a lot of talking about it, and you were in the position where you could talk from the heart because it's a different type of
0: show.
1: It's, um, so I to start with and blessed that I, after that Stoke game, I did the terrace the next day, a special with Colin Frey, which Alex in the I, I, honestly, that's when you see a sports team go to work, it was phenomenal. But Alex had to react there and then, and at the point Alex was reacting that night, I was a fan, I, I turned off, I couldn't even listen to Alex or anything like that. It, it was. I did the turning the phone off before. So I went into work the next day and it brought back these memories of the day after Bramall Lane, the day after Yeovil, the day after Black, oh, the day after Swansea, the day after relegation, the day- like all of these days. And I went, this is really hard. And I felt it was really hard because everything right now, news-wise, is magnified. Humans, uh, I-, I swear during this last year, we can only really concentrate on one thing at a time. And that's fine. It's hard for everyone. And when for- that happens, Forrest, that was the only thing keeping me going during like that sort of point of lockdown, watching football twice a week, seeing Forrest do it. So going on the next day was probably the best therapy I have ever had for Nottingham Forest because I sat there with Colin Frey. We had Steve Hodge on the show. We had loads of guests, loads of input and actually sitting around talking about it with everyone that knows and everyone that's been through it. Afterwards, you just felt like, OK. Let's walk away from that now. And it it was the most sensible kind of approach I had after that. Um, So it's, I can be more emotional and I can actually talk from the heart a little bit more. Alex, when he's broadcasting those shows, can't. And also Alex has still been the guy that I talk to because do you know, when you're doing a show, which does consist of Notts County, Nottingham Forest and Mansfield town, it's really difficult because you will hear me just going we and us all the time. (laughs) And it, and it's not just about we and us. And that's that's the element I find hard because there there's no transparency to me being a forest fan or me caring. Um and that that's what I want to be. I want people to listen and go, That's how I'm feeling. At least someone's saying it.
2: Mm. I guess if you're in Alex's position, it is slightly different there. So um just quickly, Aaron, um I say, you've you've talked you've talked about you can have your heart on your sleeve with this. Which was worse? Sheffield United, Yeovil? Blackpool, Swansea or Stoke?
1: Um, for me, Sheffield United. Um, Sheffield United because Forest fans have different kinds of things that we look for, I feel. And when you see our our players, our kids flourishing, it means the world to Forest fans. That's what we want to see. It's what we love and we want to see good football. That season under Paul Hart was everything I could ever dream for in, in a Forest team. It it was these brilliant youngsters. The football was unbelievable. The feel of the city was great. I was 17 at the time. Just a great time to be alive. And everyone was behind that football club. And you still had that experience of Marlon Hare with David Johnson, Huckabee and stuff up top. And to see that blend and that mix and for it not to work and then that team get dismantled was heartbreaking. The Swansea... The other, if I'm looking at Swansea, really, I'm just thinking that's just your average year in a championship where I, I just think we picked the wrong team. Robert Earnshaw should have started that game. That's it. Simple. Um, but yeah, for me, that was the worst.
2: Mm, yeah. Now, you know, I, I would agree with you on, on both counts. I think Swansea just felt like, well, that's just something that happened. And, you know, let's not go into the whole thing about Billy Davis and conspiracy theories, because a whole other conversation that we could have there isn't there. Um I just want to talk, Alex, I said, I'd, you know, I talk about the fact that you've, you've come from a, doing a lot of music programming as well. Um, you know, you, you, you love football, you love your music. What's your favourite football song of all time and why? <laughs> it's
0: actually a pretty easy question for me to answer um, because um, World in Motion uh, by New Order, I just think has got absolutely everything that you would want in a football song. It's got a killer chorus. It's got the the real 90s feel. It just makes you think of Italia 90. Uh, You know, I I was born in 1990, so I don't remember the tournament at all, but it throws it back to, I think, of an era of football that was just absolutely insane with world-class players. It's got John Barnes rapping in it. Um, It's got absolutely everything that you want for an England song. And they're singing for England, England. I just think it's got everything. So for me, that that shades three lions, in my opinion. Aaron, same question to you. Mine's three lines. Mine's three
1: lines. When you hear the crowd at the beginning and when you, see, you hear that little bit where it goes, the cross is St. George, are flying all around, you Gareth Southgate, <laughs> the whole of England's with you. You're going, no one knows what happens. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, that, um, just by the way, there's a video doing the round somewhere of Alex actually doing the route to uh, World of Motion yes. in a Nottingham venue.
0: Yeah, I, I I used to play it before I started. I joined uh, radio. I played in a band for a few years, and uh, that was always one of our things. And when we played uh, near a, a big tournament, um, in one of the instrumental breaks in the song, I did the John Barnes rap, and I always found a way to do it. And uh, <laughs> it's um, it's something that's always stuck with me. I've know it word for word, so I'm very very happy about that.
2: <laughs> it's got to sound better than the Keith Allen original, which is on the B side. Oh, I've got the 12 inch of, of Wild and. World. Oh really? Yeah, and um, yeah. Keith Allen did the original one when they demoed it. And um, uh, John Barnes isn't the greatest
0: rapper in the world, but he's better than Keith Allen. <laughs> yes. Keith Allen, of course, is responsible with Fat Les, wasn't he, with Vindaloo, which is another one of those that's uh, another classic football song.
1: Yeah,
2: Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's had a hand in quite a lot of football song pies, hasn't he? Um,
0: and also my, the Mike Bassett uh, England Manager World Cup song. Uh, it's on the head, son, not off me head, son, which is another <laughs> another classic of the genre. And here we go, proving that
1: we're... Go on. I was just going to say the unfortunate thing about all these great football songs are tournaments are always remembered for the sad music that's over the montage of us getting knocked out at the end.
2: Yeah, uh, so it's funny you should say that because I don't know why it sticks in my mind, but the 2002 World Cup, the thing that I most remember about England getting knocked out then is that uh, a guy who I worked with had said before the match, they've already lined up Stop Crying Your Heart Out by Oasis for when England go out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, oh,
1: that anyway, right. Day as well.
2: Yeah, is. We're, we're, to, we're, we're evoking sad memories, and actually, we want, we want happy memories. <laughs> but of course, we're forest supporters, so we haven't had any of those for 20 something years. Um, and that's where I'm going to go into a few quick fire questions, which hopefully will evoke some happier memories. So I'm going to come to you both with a few questions, and just the first thing that you think about, cut, speak from your, from your heart, not from your head. Okay, um, Alex, what was the first game you attended? Well, score and
0: scorers? It was Forest Spurs in a pre season friendly and it was nil nil, which is a good a good introduction. It must have been in 1995 or six. I remember it was one of those pre season tournaments that Chelsea were a part of, and then, and there was like two games a day. So I watched the Chelsea game and then it was Forest Spurs and it was the most dull nil nil pre season friendly you'd ever, ever see. And there's a reason why many people don't bother going to see pre season matches. <laughs> what yeah. about you, Aaron? Do You know, my
1: early football, like watching, is an absolute blur because I started getting taken when I was four years old. So I just know I was at games. But the first game I remember was a two-all draw against Wolves. I think that was in the early 90s. Um, but yeah, I've just got a whole list of games that I've been to, but I don't remember as a child.
2: Was that, was that the one where Stan Collymore scored?
1: It, I think it might have been, but it's still wrong. This, this is it, like, I always find this really bizarre when people can go, my first game was this. I remember the spell. I remember it. And I was like, I was just told I was a Forest fan and I've got to go to games. <laughs> like, I didn't have a choice. I was dragged to the games.
0: And yeah, it's a good thing. <laughs> I can tell you what my first league game was. Uh, it was Nottingham Forest 1, Manchester United 8. gonna <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> <laughs> Gunnar- Solskjaer scored four goals in the second half. It was an absolute mauling. Uh, this is one of those occasions where due to being at university, I was out of range. So I looked,
2: I saw the score
0: <laughs> at half time and then I saw the score at full time. It's like, oh, <laughs> so was but that, that was, that was awesome. uh, you know, that was an unreal Man United side. That, that was the side that won the treble that, that season.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair point. It's a fair point. I still, don't think...
0: of the <laughs>
2: <laughs> I still don't think we'd have lost that by seven goals if Dave Harry Bassett hadn't been sacked. I don't think a, a Bassett team would have lost by that many. Anyway, yeah. all right. Your all-time favourite Forest player, Aaron?
1: <laughs> it is pro- it's got to be Stan Collymore still. Uh, Stuart Pearce is there because he's legacy and everything, but Collymore
0: just for those goals. Alex? Chris Cohen. I just think he's an absolute legend. And I just think he, uh, in a very, very dodgy era for Nottingham Forest, is one of the few players that has really come out with their head held high and you can just genuinely see as a modern legend. Um, and the goal against Ipswich, is, I, know, I know it's to stay in the Championship, but I'll never forget that.
2: Oh, memorable moment. And, you know, I think there's probably quite a lot of Forest fans uh, who, who, you know, have a man crush on Chris Cohen even to this day. So, um,
0: OK. Alex, Frank Clark or Paul Hart? I I think I was I was a bit young for the for the Frank Clark era I think so for me I I remember the Paul Hart era more so I'm going Paul Hart but I have I have interviewed Frank Clark many uh, on a few occasions and he's a very very top man so um I do like Frank Clark a lot but I think the Paul Hart era for the reasons that Aaron mentioned earlier for the for the youngsters that he brought through I think I think shades it for me okay Aaron
1: Yeah, I'd go the same. Frank Clark was the generation of me becoming a fan, but that poor heart for me. I was going to games with my mates. We were season ticket holders at home, going to everything. It was, yeah, it was all about the team. And the team was so big a part of the community at the time as well. That's what I loved.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to ask ask you the elephants in the room then. Sean O'Driscoll, Aaron, or Billy Davis?
1: Sean O'Driscoll, I really liked him. I also liked Mark Warburton though, so, Mm -hmm. you know
0: by margins. Quite. So, what about you, Alex? So, for me, uh, I I really feel that that first Billy Davis spell at Nottingham Forest was that first time, I think, since the Paul Hart era where Forest really felt like a force again and had... I mean, had what uh, in in that Blackpool second leg? I really think if Forrest could have come through that, they would have got they would have won the won the playoff final. I mean, Forrest played some fan, absolutely fantastic football under Billy Davis in that first spell, and he was a proper character. And then it all just got very weird, didn't it? When he came when he came <laughs> back, which, is, which just utterly tainted that whole that whole spell. But I think I'd go Billy Davis just because it was it was genuinely brilliant, direct Championship football at its best.
2: Okay, stay with you, Alex, Zdravko Valio or Radek
0: <laughs> now you're asking me the Carvalho question because um because Aaron um is Portuguese Prince. Uh for me Rad Raddy Majewski scored some of Forest's best goals of the last ten to fifteen years. Um so it for me is it's a no brainer. And I think we know your answer to that one, Aaron. And um as
2: <laughs> as Baz on our podcast said uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I have feelings for Joao
1: Carvalho. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah,
2: me too, me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and now we're going to go on to um, something else. So we've got a little quiz which we call Guess That Red. 1865. Guess That Red. In this quiz, I'm going to ask, um, I'm going to give you five clues, and I want you to buzz in. Now, I don't have any buzzers, so just say your name if you think right. you know the answer. And we'll go through the clues in turn, and we'll see if you can guess who that red is. So, clue number one. Just give me a shout if you think you know the answer. Clue number one. This player is a Jamaican international who is still playing professional football and he made 111 appearances for Forest under four different managers.
0: Oh, Alex. Go on. Uh, uh, McGoldrick. Is incorrect, but it's a good guess. Good guess. Mm. OK,
2: Morgan? Uh, is, oh, I can see why you've gone there. It's not correct. <laughs> OK,
0: <Got
2: inside. laughs> so let's go to clue number two. He made his debut against Carlisle United in March 2008.
0: Alex. Go on. Oh, I think it might be a bit too early. I was going to go McCleary, but I think it's too early.
2: The answer is Gareth McCleary. Oh, yes. (laughs) That's very, very well done. So the other clues, for the sake of uh, argument, were going to be his first goal for the Reds was also against Carlisle, which came just one month later, and he hadn't yet started a game for the Reds. Um, the next clue, the penultimate clue is going to be that, and I didn't realise this, he was voted Forest's Player of the Season in his last year at the City Ground, beating Joel Lynch into second and Chris Gunter into third. And then the one which probably would have given it away, I think, he scored 13 goals in three and a half years for Forest, but four of them famously came in
0: one game, yeah, which was obviously away at Leeds. Yeah, at yeah, um, Leeds. He was one of those players that I think was a bit underappreciated his, uh, his first kind of couple of years at Forest, But then when he left, everyone was like, he's actually a class act and has gone on to uh, Gwen Forest. And how many times yeah, have we I seen just that? I can't forgive any players for leaving Forest for Reading. I can't. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. It doesn't sit it's well there
1: point. at all. They're waiting for that Guns for Money.
2: Well, that's, that's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, having said that, I think we signed McClure for something like £25,000, didn't we? It was something Romney, ridiculous. not it? Yeah. It was like a, a set of tracksuits and a coffee maker or something like that. So, <laughs> um, I agree. I think he, the, the thing I always said is that he was a player who, who had the ability to make things happen. So, he'd come off the bench and he'd get a goal or get an assist or or just scare their defence. So, uh, you know, not to be sniffed at, is it? So, um Okay, right. Well, I want to say thank you to to both of you for taking the time to join us. Um, it's been, you know, really interesting to hear about your experiences of of broadcasting as fans. Um, it's also really exciting to hear, you know, that that idea about balancing fandom with with professionalism. Which, um, which, you know, Aaron, you, you're smiling at me. I can see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, uh... <laughs> It is
1: just funny conversations when uh, it's uh, there's a way of doing things, but there's no harm in everyone knowing I'm a Forest fan. I can't hide that.
2: And am I right in saying that you actually you, you lived away from Nottingham for a bit uh, in your in your previous existence for um, going on the radio? Yes, so,
1: I, yeah, I was. A, I went to Loughborough University, uh, so I was in Loughborough for four, four and a half years, and then I went to London for ten years, and then came back. So whilst we were down there, a lot of my best mates from Bridgeford moved down. In fact, so. We started going to every game we could. That was just in the south. It was actually a lot of fun going to loads of away games from London.
2: Yeah, in this sort of uh, Paul Hart type era, um, I was I was based in London then as well. So uh, the Sheffield United match, um, I I remember that quite distinctly because we're watching it in the Sports Bar in Haymarket, and there was a bunch of Forest supporters in one part of the bar. There's a bunch of Sheffield United fans, and it was one of those where. Um, my mate was wearing the blue and green classic away shirt and and he we walked out and you know obviously we'd seen David Johnson in absolute tears, we were crying for Dez and that, that kind of shot where Paul Hart's got his arm around Dez after scoring the own goal and it, it just in pieces. And then my mate wearing his blue and green shirt just walks out the door of the sports bar straight away. This complete stranger just walks up to him and gives him a massive hug, like <laughs> a big bear. <laughs> <hair>. <laughs> So yeah. Um and, and that's See you, Forest fan, give him a hug. <laughs> well, in fairness, I think we all needed one that night, just like we probably all did, um, you know, after after the Stoke match. And and what's your thoughts and feelings about, you know, this season's basically been a write off and fingers crossed, everything's safe, we're gonna have mid table obscurity. What are your thoughts and feelings about Chris Hutton, Alex?
0: I really like him. Um, I think that um, he has got. Well, he came into the club with with the club not having won a game all season, and a lot of the players not being his players. Um, I think that we are slowly but surely, and I think that is the mute mantra is is slowly but surely changing the culture of the football club. Not just not just what's happening on the pitch, but. And um, bringing those plays through, I'm, I'm happy that Alex Meiton's been playing a lot more recently, that some of the more creative players, because I think one of the criticisms that has been leveled at Chris Hewton is, is is perhaps a negative style. But I genuinely think he's just trying to get his head around and what's going on and trying to increase that stability. But there's no denying since he's come in that Forrest are just so much more of a solid outlet than they were. And, I, I, you know, I think Worrell and, um, and McKenna coming back has been huge in that too. Um, so, it's going to be a very interesting summer to see who departs the club. And I think it's going to be a case of departing rather than bringing lots of players in. I just don't think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you've got to look at someone who can bang in the goals next season. I'm, I'm not sure that the options there at the moment are going to be ones that are going to propel you up the table because goals have just been a problem, haven't they, for Forest all season. But it's very similar, and I've said this to Aaron many, many times, is is that you know when Hewton came in at Brighton, that first season was consolidation, keeping them up. He had a summer with the players. He, he he made the club the way that he shaped it, the way he wanted it to be. Um, and Brighton scored 94 goals the next season, and went up uh, automatically. So I think he's one of those managers who just need to give a bit of time. But I think there are some really bright sparks happening. Uh, but it'll be very interesting to see, you know, will James Garner stay for another season? Will Is that part of the plan there? Um, will Kravinovich stay? Um, the knockout scenarios, there's all kinds of questions to answer in the summer, but I think Boris are going to be okay now this season, it's just a case of what happens in the summer going into next And briefly, Aaron, anything you want to add to that? I think Alex has said most of it, hasn't he?
1: Um,
0: well, I, I
1: feel probably quite differently um, to Alex in fact, and that is Juton, yeah, being there, done it, that's fine um, that to me doesn't make someone necessarily mean they're going to be a good manager anywhere, we've seen it too many times, people who have done it before and then not done it again I feel that over the last few weeks, something shifted where he, he's been told, I feel, I don't know this, but it seems like Brennan Johnson is coming back in the summer. We have got youngsters coming back and it's almost like they've gone, youngsters are going to need to play a part. So all of a sudden, Knockart's dropped, Bong was dropped, Glenn Murray was, I, what I just saw over that international break was all of a sudden the team that came back was not the team, I don't think it looks like a Hutton team personally, I just think, but the changes over that of now playing kids and youthfulness and having some creativity made the world of difference. It's now fun to watch, and it has been for the last three, four games. So if it keeps building like this, brilliant. But I just hope it keeps building with youngsters in mind.
2: Well, on that bombshell.
1: Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, but I, I have a lot of sympathy with both E-points. And I think that
2: actually, you know what, I'd probably have more sympathy with Alex viewpoint point because we've, we've had a Brighton fan on who said, Basically, everything he said about what Heaton will do at Forest has pretty much come exactly true, even down to having Glenn Murray in...